Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is where we're going to be. We've been in this series here for a few weeks. Well, I guess a few months now. And uh, going through it on Sunday mornings. And so today we'll be in chapter 7 again. Last week, chapter 7, in the first part, we were talking about death and funerals. And today we're talking about crooked and broken things. So um, it's just where the text leads us. And so we'll just look at it and ask God to help us uh, with that in just a moment. Okay, if you found your place in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, let me ask you to stand if you would. And we'll begin our reading in verse 11 today. And we'll look at a few verses here together. Okay, let's begin our reading verse 11. It says, Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense, but the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to them that have it. Okay, now I want to, I want to really focus today on, on this next verse, and especially these next four uh, words, or five words that we're looking at in the text this morning. Because verse 13, Solomon writes this phrase. He says, consider the work of God. For who can make that straight, which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. God also hath set the one over against the other, to the end that man should find nothing after him. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. And so here's the challenge that Solomon presents us with today. He says, Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldst thou destroy thyself? Be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldst thou die before thy time? It is good that thou shouldst take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Let's pray together today. Father, thank you for today. Lord, excited about the events to follow uh, this, uh, this service and this time together. But for the next few moments, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to draw our attention to you, to your word. Lord, that we'd be able to absorb and apply the thoughts you may have for us today. So speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever people watched before? Isn't that fun to do? Some of, you are, some of you have been doing that all morning long. You've just been kind of looking across the auditorium and just doing people watch. Some of you came today to Fall Festival Day and you say, I'm going to come today just so that I can do that. I'm going to go out on the field and just people watch. Um, humans act and they interact in really entertaining ways, especially when you're just observing them. It's okay to people watch until you get uh, caught. And then when someone catches your eye, they give you the you're a stalker look. And so you quickly, I don't know about you, but you know, I usually like divert my attention away like I really wasn't looking at you, but I really was, right? And it kind of creates this awkward moment for us. Um, have you ever people watched another people watcher? And you see someone watching people and you're watching them as they, they watch people. And today's world, we're on camera everywhere we go. And I don't know how much we're watching. I don't even want to know uh, how much we're watching, I suppose. In our text today, as we look at Solomon, Solomon was the ultimate people watcher. And we see this all throughout the book of Proverbs that we, he wrote, and we see this all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon watched people, but he didn't just watch them for entertainment like maybe some would do. He was observing them. He was, he was, he was contemplating their lives 
He was constantly assessing how they lived. Um, he, would, he would look and he'd observe the choices that they made, the kind of life they would live, and then the consequences that were attached to that kind of life. As we read the book of Proverbs, that, that's what we see. Hey, I've watched people do this, and if they do this, this is what they get, both good and bad. And, and that's attached to, to, the, to those outcomes and the choices that we make. But he makes this discovery, and he writes a lot about it in Ecclesiastes, because many of the themes in Ecclesiastes are repeating. And he, is, he, he discovers with maddening frustration that both good and bad, uh, righteousness and wickedness, but both, both what we would consider and we would term, what he would term, uh, good things and bad things, they happen to everybody. And that frustrated him. And so in verse 15 of our text this morning, he writes, all things have I seen in the days of my vanity. He says, there's a just man. He's a good guy. This man, we, we would look at his life and he says, and I'm observing him and I'm people watching him. And he's a good guy. He's a just man. And he says, he perisheth in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man. And, and the idea there is simply this. He, he dies a short life. He has a short lifespan. And he says, and there's a wicked man that prolonged his life in wickedness. He says, I watch a good guy, and his life is cut short. And I watch a wicked guy, and he's got prosperity and a long life. And he's just like, this is frustrating. And to Solomon, in a view that did not retain God in it, he said this is vanity to him. It's a frustration because one, one's logic simply dictates that good things happen to good people. And bad things happen to bad people. But he makes this observation. Here's a good guy. And yes, good things happen to him. But so do bad things. And here's a bad guy. And yeah, bad things happen to him. But so do good things. And that's not fair. And, and, and that's not right. And so it, Solomon directs our attention this morning. As he observes these two different men, the just and the unjust, the good and the bad, the righteous and the wicked, and he says, I'm, I'm observing this, I'm watching these people. And then he directs our attention, not just to people this morning in the text, but he says, let's not just people watch, let's God watch. Let's watch how God interacts with these individuals. Let's watch what God does. And so here's what he says in verse 13 that I drew your attention to a moment ago. He says, consider the work of God. Consider means this, to fix the mind on with a care of careful examination. I'm going to put my mind and I'm going to apply my mind to what God's doing and how he is interacting with these individuals. And then he asks this question, for who can make straight that which he, meaning God, hath made crooked? Now, wait a minute. God makes crooked things? I thought God only made straight things. Straight is the idea of direct. It's, it's uniform. It's one direction. It's without curves. It's without bends. There are many things in life that we make straight or that we try to make straight. Uh, when I go to Home Depot and I'm, and I, and I'm you know, working on a project at home, I act like I know what I'm doing, right? Because I see other guys do this. And so they'll take the board off the shelf, right? And get the two by four or whatever piece of wood you're using. And what do you do? You line it up because you want to make sure it's what? Well, it's straight. Because you don't want to buy a crooked board. Crooked boards aren't helpful. And they won't get your project done the right way. We might use, and I've used this 
phrase to some of my children before when I'm observing their behavior. And for purposes this morning, it might be crooked behavior. And so we'll use a phrase like, I need to straighten that boy out, straighten out that child. What do we mean? Well, they're acting in a crooked manner. They're acting in a way that's devious or inappropriate. And so we need to straighten them out. Uh, We can make a road straight. We can make a tree straight. We don't like wrinkles in our clothes, and so we might iron them to straighten them out. We get Botox to make our skin straight. I need a little bit of that, like right here between my eyebrows. My wife says I'm always furrowing my eyebrow, right? God makes a lot of things straight, too. We value straight. He makes the way of salvation straight. In Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah was prophesying about the coming of the Messiah, And he was prophesying about Jesus and what he would do. And in verse 2, he says, Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. She's crooked. Things aren't right there. Verse 3, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. And who would this be in time? Well, it would be John the Baptist. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And then we read this phrase, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is not a crooked path. It's not a bent path. It doesn't have curves in it. It's straight ahead. It's understandable. It's clear. And in verse 4, every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made what? Straight. We get to Luke chapter 3, and we read the fulfillment of this prophecy. It says, The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, and he came into the country all around Jordan, and he's preaching. The Bible says, and in verse 4, it says, It's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, and here it is, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked, that which is bent, that which is broken, that which doesn't make sense, that which is confusing, it will be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read about the chastening of the Lord, and that when we get off the path of life that He has for us, in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, and make straight paths, He says, for your feet. God makes straight things. God values straight things. God makes something straight. The psalmist is calling our attention to a truth this morning that we would rather not wrestle with, and that is simply this. While God makes some things straight, God also makes some things crooked. He makes some things crooked. And it wasn't the first time that Solomon would use this phrase or this verse. In the opening chapter of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 15, he says, That which is crooked, it cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting, it cannot be numbered. Okay, we define straight, and we understand what that means. What about crooked? What does crooked mean? Well, crooked means bent. It means curved, winding. It means out of shape, out of place. I was beginning my study this week, last Monday, and so here I am, and I, you know, I open my commentaries, and, and I've got my Bible set up, and I've got my legal pad out, and, and I'm beginning to take notes, and, and the first commentator says this, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is one of the hardest chapters in one of the hardest books in the Bible. It's like, oh great, you know, here we go, we get a special day today, we're going to be looking at this text. And one of the things that makes this book so challenging is that all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon 
wrestles with the sovereignty of God. It's, it's, it's a struggle for him. And if we were honest today, it's a little bit of a struggle for us too. That's why it's here for us this morning. Solomon was a sovereign. He was a powerful king. He had ultimate authority. He was wealthy. He was wise. He was powerful. No one superseded him in his life. He was his own boss. He himself was a sovereign. And he struggled with the idea of being controlled by God. That for all of his power, for all of his wealth, for all of his wisdom, no one told him what to do, but God was in complete control. And he struggled with this idea and concept. There's this principle that Jesus highlights for us, that the more material blessings you have, the more autonomy you have, the more control of your life you have, the harder it is to give up those things. It's easier for a poor man to trust God than for a rich man, is what Jesus taught. Okay, let me break that down for us a little bit this morning. It's easier for those without retirement plans to trust God. It's easier for those without social security to trust God. Because that's not been around for thousands of years. And it probably won't be around for thousands. Let's talk about that. It's easier for those without grocery stores to trust God. It's easier for those without paved roads. It's easier for those without air conditioning, without hospitals. It's easier for those without those things to trust God than it is for those to trust God that have those things. Because the more we have, the less we trust and the more control we want. But God is autonomous. And God's in complete control. And he answers to no one. And so Solomon isn't just people watching, he's God watching. And he carefully observes God's ways. And what does he see? Well, he sees that just men perish even though they're righteous. And he sees wicked men have good lives even though they're wicked. And so his conclusion is simply this. I've watched people and I've watched God. And he says, and God makes some things crooked, and you aren't going to understand it, and you can't straighten it out. There is no fixing God, and there is no way of fully understanding His ways. God acts in impossible ways that you're not going to understand. And He just calls it out. And so because life is unexpected, and because it can't be planned, and because you don't have the control over your life that you think you have. Solomon gives us some really practical and pragmatic advice in verse 14. And so he says this, look, look, look there with me. He says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. He's saying maximize good days. There are days when the sun is shining, the birds are tweeting, and they play on the radio Louis Armstrong. Right? And you think to yourself, wow, it's a, it's a wonderful world. I love it. And I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> Work's fun. Time flies by. We're with people we love. Relationships, they're healthy and they're good. And Solomon says, maximize those days for all they're worth. Be joyful. Okay. Then he says, but, there's always those conjunctions in the Bible. In the day of adversity, 
He says, consider. He used that word just a minute ago when he said, consider the works of God. And that's what he's referencing to us. Consider God. Consider His, His works. You know what adverse days are, right? It's the country song that comes on the radio. The car breaks down. The water heater floods the house on the same day. There is no sunshine. There's more bills than money. Your body's falling apart. Relationships are fracturing. Stress mounts. And, and it's in these moments when life's at its hardest that Solomon says, let's consider God. He says, but in the day of adversity, consider God hath also set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. Okay, let me paraphrase that for us this morning. Good times come from God, but so too do bad times. God makes some things crooked. He, he makes something straight. He makes some things crooked. And the problem is this, and this was Solomon's problem, and it's ours too. We have a really hard time accepting that. We have a hard time with crooked. We have a hard time thinking that God could be involved in something that's crooked. We like straight. I like straight because you can see the beginning from the end. You understand it. It makes sense to us. I like Luke 3, 5 better than I do Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Because Luke said, and the crooked shall be made straight, and rough ways shall be made smooth. Straight is smooth. Straight is predictable. Straight is safe. And crooked is none of those things. The crooked things in life, they're really hard to explain. They're hard to talk about. They're hard to give definition to. Crooked's ugly. Crooked's painful. Crooked is unpredictable. It's hard to make sense out of crooked. And if there are crooked things in our life, then we make natural assumptions, assumptions like, well, it's either my fault or if it's going on in another person's life, we think, well, that's their problem, see? They've got problems. They've got sin. Or maybe it's just Satan or some politician. But that's not what Solomon says in the text this morning. He says God makes some things crooked. And so people who don't understand the things that God makes crooked often do one of two things. They are either over-righteous or they are over-wicked. I'm going to ask you to hang with me for just a minute, okay? Because we're going to do a little bit of teaching and I need you to stick with me in your, in your, in your brains we're gonna make, and then we'll make some application and then we'll go out and eat a corn dog, all right? Okay. Some people try to, in our hearts, ignore the advice that Solomon's giving, and they try their best to straighten out what is crooked. So, so Solomon says, you can't, you can't straighten. So what, who could straighten out that which is crooked? God makes some things crooked. Who's going to straighten them out? But we try anyway. And a lot of times we try to do this through righteousness. So, so this is what he's saying to us today. Some people are either ignorant of God's ways, or they just don't like this idea, or they just resist the idea that some things in God's economy and in God's way of doing things, they don't have answers for. Crooked doesn't make sense, and they insist that everything has to make sense. Have you ever known someone who has an answer for everything? No hands. Okay. How many of you are that person, right? Okay, don't raise your hand. I have a son that way. You ask him any questions. It doesn't matter what it's about. He'll give you an answer. Um, I don't know where he got it from. I'm sure, I'm sure 
He got it from somewhere. <laughs> okay, listen. If the Bible doesn't give us a clear answer about something, sometimes what we're tempted to do is to make up an answer. So if someone asks us a question, we don't have an answer to, so it makes us feel incompetent, or like we have to defend God. And so we just make up an answer. A lot of really good and well-meaning people do this all the time. Okay, righteous in the text means this, right in one's cause. Not God's cause, it's right in one's cause. And the idea that we would use this morning is the idea of self-righteousness. This is not the righteousness of God. This is not permission like, oh, I, I shouldn't be too righteous. That means I can be a little wicked. That's not what he's saying. He is righteous in one's own cause. It's the idea of self-righteousness. This is exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the New Testament did. Israel's going through a hard time. There's Roman oppression. They're trying to curry favor with God, trying to change his mind about the oppression that they felt. They were trying to be so good that God had no choice but to treat them with goodness and not with adversity. So how did that manifest itself in their lives? Well, they had a standard for everything. I mean, every, the way you dressed, the things you did, your actions, your music, everything was a standard. They standardized everything. They had lots of rules for life. I mean, rule after rule after rule after rule. They were the masters of the Bible, and they had an answer for everything. And in so doing, they stripped God of his sovereignty. They took away the mysteriousness of God, and they didn't recognize Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when he was literally standing right in front of them. Literally, truth is biting them on the nose, and they can't see it. And Jesus said to them, you are you're blind. You can't see the truth in front of you because you're so righteous. We have the answers from God's word that we need. But we do not have all the answers. And we don't like that. And Solomon says in verse 16, he says, Be not righteous overmuch, neither make thyself overwise. And this is his phrase. He says, like this question. Why shouldst thou destroy thyself? Like you start being self-righteous, and you start having standards, and you start having rules that, that God doesn't necessarily give us direction on. And, and, I, and I, I am not destroying standards and rules. I think they're important, and I think they have their place. But let's not make those what God said when He didn't say. We need to be really careful with standards and rules. Because the truth will bite us in the face, and we too won't see it. And so he says, be careful. Why? Because you're going to alienate other people and you're going to hurt yourself. He is saying, is he saying don't be too good? No. He is saying don't create a brand of Christianity that God didn't create. Don't do that. And there is a warning about the obsessive need that we may feel to always be right. To always have an answer for God's ways. This is self-destructive behavior to alienate people. So sometimes people try to say, well, this is crooked and it doesn't make sense, so I'm going to force it straight. So the Pharisees and Sadducees did. And then some people who just withdraw themselves from God altogether. So that's what verse 18 
Look there with me. He says, it's good that thou shouldst take hold of this. Meaning, it's good to consider God and His ways. Don't not consider Him. You may or may not people watch, but you better make sure that you're God watching. You better make sure your focus is directed on Him. He says, you better take hold of this. Don't be too righteous. Work with Him. Yield to Him. Some people, though, they don't get God and they don't trust God because they don't understand Him and they don't get Him and it doesn't make sense to them. So what do they do? Well, they withdraw themselves. So in verse 18 it says, Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. What does withdraw not thine hand mean? It's the idea of to back away from. Okay, hand means this, presence. I'm here, God. I'm watching you. I'm with you. I'm trying to follow you. And some people say, well, some of this doesn't make sense, so I'm going to straighten out God and His ways. I'm going to make sense of what can't be made sense of. I'm going to give rules and standards and, and regulations to all these things, even if God didn't say it. That's one way. And, then, and, and the other people are like, God, you don't make sense, and this is crooked, and so I'm out. Like, I'm just going to back away. He says, don't you withdraw your presence. Don't you withdraw your hand from God. There's a ditch on this side. There's a ditch on this side. Hey, he says, hey, let's be careful here. They remove themselves from time to please God or be righteous at all. They do what they want to do, and they justify it. There are ditches on both sides of the road. And so what happens to these people over here? These people are trying too hard. These people aren't trying hard enough. And so in verse 17, he says, be not over much wicked. He is not saying a little wickedness is okay. He says, be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldst thou die before thy time? This guy hurts himself. This guy's going to destroy himself. So he said, don't be over much wicked. Again, it doesn't mean you can live like the wicked witch of the West. Wicked here is simply this. You live in such a way that you intentionally or unintentionally transgress God's law. That's the idea of wicked. I'm transgressing His law. And God's not giving us permission to transgress. Solomon says, why shouldst thou die before thy time? In other words, there are consequences to living wickedly. Okay, stay with me. Still with me? All right. Those who are over-righteous, they make up stuff for God. They make up rules. They make up principles. But those who are wicked, they challenge those who are transgress, the other ditch, and they just challenge everything. They ask questions like this. Well, the Bible isn't clear about that. Did God say not to do such and such? So if God didn't say it, then I'm going to do it. If God doesn't make that clear, so whatever. And that's the attitude. Who else said stuff like that? Well, Genesis 3.1, speaking of Satan, serpent was much more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, now here, catch this phrase, because this is what we sometimes do. Yea, hath God said? Well, I can, I can do whatever I want to do. And the Bible's not really clear about this issue. I mean, did God really say that? Okay, there are guiding principles God does give to us. There are convictions from the Holy Spirit He gives to us. There's a balance between these two extremes. So what are we to do? Okay, three ideas. And then we'll be done. And then number one is this. Don't try to fix God. This is a big deal. Don't try to fix God. You cannot make sense of everything, even if you try. Solomon couldn't. I think God had him write this because he was so wise. We don't have the power to overrule God. 
or to fix in our lives or the lives of others, or in, in, even in the, idea, the, the construct of ideas, things that we think he broke. Crooked is broken. Now listen carefully. Just because something is broken doesn't mean that that's exactly how God wants it to be. And that's tough for us. There are a lot of things we consider broken and crooked. Broken bodies, broken finances, broken relationships. And sooner or later, there's something in life we wish that God shaped as anything but crooked. And we cannot change him. We can't change what he does unless he wants to change it. Solomon wrestled with this, and we do too, that we are under the power of the sovereign and omnipotent God, and we don't get to edit his plan. Don't let that this morning drive you to despair. If God has a plan, then that means he's working. And Solomon does direct our attention to later in the book, and all of God's word directs us to this attention, that God is good. That God created, He loves, He's not evil, He's not punitive, He Himself is not wicked, there is no wickedness, there is no sin in Him. He is a righteous, good God. He has your best interests in mind. Yes, He's a judge. Yes, He's sovereign. Yes, He comes down on sin, but He's also provided a way out of sin. He's provided a way out of hell through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ's righteousness, not one's own righteousness. And so we can't fix God, and we shouldn't try. And there are some crooked things in life that God allows, and it's part of His plan. But that's not the end of the story. Our faith in Him is just that. It's faith. And there is good coming for us that is beyond our comprehension. And so let's not try to edit His plan. And let's not try to fix God. Number two, we need to realize this morning that extremes... And extreme views are dangerous, and they lead you astray. You're going to alienate other people, you're going to hurt yourself, or you're going to die before you should. That's from the text. Don't have extreme views. Now listen carefully this morning about anything that God doesn't have an extreme view about. Be careful in your views. Be careful in your standards. Be careful in your opinions that we don't get extreme about anything that God himself isn't extreme about. People throughout Scripture, and we see it over and over again, they get themselves in all sorts of trouble because they do that, and so will you. There's no exemption to this rule. You should have guiding principles for your life. You should have standards. But don't be extreme about them if God hasn't clearly settled those things in His Word. Don't be so righteous that you hurt yourself and create a burden for yourself that you were never meant to bear. Again, the Pharisees and Sadducees created a burden for the people, and Jesus said, I came to liberate them from this. And let's not do that in our own lives. And here's the balance. Here's the other side of things. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because that's what some other people do. They say, well, I'm just going to transgress God's law then because I have this type of freedom. And we are instructed to not overreact and say what God didn't say. So I can do it. That's equally foolish. And then number three this morning. We need to make sure that in our lives we follow God closely. 
that we don't withdraw our hand from Him, our presence. That when life gets hard and we say, this is a crooked moment, I've reached a, a bend in the road of this relationship, I don't know what to do, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I'm not going to withdraw my presence from God, I'm not going to withdraw my hand. God, I'm going to stay here in the tough times and I'm going to learn what you have for me and I'm going to consider God. I'm going to God watch and I'm going to put my faith and my trust in you. What is written in God's Word and what is not written in God's Word is exactly what God wants you and I to have, and it's exactly what we need. There are times when I'll be home and I will overhear one of my children say to another one of my children, Dad said, and then I perk up because I'm thinking, what did I say, right? What did Dad say? I'm assuming they're talking about me. Well, Dad said that you're supposed to clean our room today. It's your turn. Dad said that you're supposed to clean up the dog waste outside. Dad said to get me a bowl of ice cream or to give me your cone. Whatever, I mean, whatever absurd things kids come up with. And they do that. And then I come around the corner. <laughs> and then they see my face like, whoops. We can be that way with God. We, we, we can act like we know what he's saying and preach it and declare it and convince other, thing, other people of it. We need to be careful. We don't teach traditions of men as oracles of God. It's true of our standards, our music, our entertainment, our decisions. You need to have those things. You need to have convictions. As a church leadership team, we have them for our church. But don't force your views on other people and be extreme about it unless God himself is extreme about it. Fear God. That's what he says in verse 18. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Those who fear God, those who are concerned about what he says, those who are committed to following him and his word, they don't get caught up in the self-righteous talk of others or the wicked actions that other people take. They find the middle ground. Not extreme here in self-righteousness and, and righteous in one's own cause and having an answer for everything. Not caught up in here, transgression of God's law and saying, but did God really say this type of mentality? These are both wrong. And so he says, fear God. And he says, and he that fears God, verse 18, shall come forth of them all. The idea is this, you're going to leave everyone else behind. And that's a good place to be in this context. Not an isolation, not an unkindness. But it's just this, you're in a better place than other people because these are both ditches and we need to avoid them at all costs. Okay. Let me pivot our thinking here for just a moment and I'm going to conclude. We all relationally want to be accepted for who we are. We don't want somebody trying to edit us. We don't want someone trying to change us. We, we get frustrated and people just don't accept us for, you know, here I am, like all my flaws and, and my warts and yeah, I'm working to be a better guy, but you know, I'm not perfect and I just want you to accept me. And, and, and you want me to accept you. We resist the idea that others might fix us or make us something other than we are. Hang with me for this thought. I think the idea, the main idea that we pull from the text this morning is simply this. Will you and can you accept God 
for who he is? That's the question. God makes some things crooked. His interaction with our people, it's not, it sometimes defies our expectation. We don't have an answer. I, I don't have an answer for a sovereign God, one who's in complete control. And can you accept him for who he is? And this is where Solomon is driving us in the whole book. Can you love him when you don't understand him? Can you fear him even when you want to insert other things into your relationship or give answers that you don't have to give? Can you follow him explicitly even when it doesn't fully make sense? In spite of the crookedness, in spite of his mysteriousness, in spite of his sovereignty, in spite of his all, can you, can you just accept that he has your best interests in mind? And can you release yourself to his control? There is coming a day when the crooked is going to be made straight. When the rough is going to be made smooth. That's not this day. This day, there's going to be relational difficulty. You're going to have to work through. And, and the people aren't going to always meet up to your expectations. This day, we're going to pray for people that are good men in our church who have cancer. We're going to mourn the loss of a righteous, just man who went to be with Jesus and died. We're going to struggle through financial difficulties that are not of our own making. There's some crooked things in our bodies that are going to be broken, and we're going to work through all these things. And God's saying, can you accept me for who I am? Yes, I make something straight. And I promise you that one day I'll make everything straight. But there are some things that God makes crooked. And would you consider Him? Would you stop looking at everyone else? Would you stop trying to figure it all out? Would you stop trying to have an answer for everything? And would you stop withdrawing yourself from Him? Stop transgressing? Would you, would you do that? And would you consider God? And, and would you just accept Him for who He is? Yes, Lord, I love you. God, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't like it. But I'm going to follow you. God, I don't have all the answers, but I have all the answers that I need because you gave them to me. And so I'm going to be content with that. Not over-righteous. Not over-wicked. Not withdrawing myself. But God, I'm going to consider you. And, and even when things are crooked, I'm going to do right, and I'm going to love you, and I won't withdraw myself from you. Let me, let me ask you to stand this morning, if you would, with heads bowed and eyes closed today.